So last week we started an emphasis that's really going to take us through the majority of this year called Deeper, Hot, Wider, and Higher. And right now we're in the deeper section. And this particular series called Deeper is taking some common stories that you might be familiar with, you might not be familiar with, and looking at them a little bit deeper than we normally go. You know, when a church tells the stories of the Bible, especially in kids' ministry, we're often just introducing them to the storyline, maybe to some of the characters, that type of thing. But there is much deeper elements to the story than just the story itself. So what we're doing, like we did last week, we looked at the story of Jonah. And that was four chapters, and it taught us something about Jonah not wanting to go and do what God wanted him to do because he had a disdain for the people that he was called to go to, the Ninevites. Now today in the book of Ruth, we're going to see another four-chapter book, and this book, though, is quite different than Jonah. It reflects for us the faithfulness of this foreign woman who is outside the boundaries of Israel, outside the giving of the law that we find in the Old Testament, and yet she acts upon her commitment to her mother-in-law, and in faith she follows her back to her home territory. We'll come to that in a moment. Last week I mentioned there are three ways that you can look at a story. You can take the metaphor of swimming and talk about it on the surface level. So this is kind of above the water line. So when we look at a story, uh, we can become familiar with the storyline and the characters. But then we said, if we go under the water line a little bit, you're at a snorkel level. And as you look underneath the water line, you can see some themes that begin to emerge. And out of those themes, are basic points that can be applicable to us in our day and age. But you can go even deeper, and you can do a scuba level, and it is there, down in the deep levels, that we see these stories are not just telling us about Ruth and Naomi, not just telling us about Jonah, not just telling us about other characters in the Bible. It's telling us something about the human experience. It tells us something about ourselves. It tells us something about who we are. And so we take the storyline, we take the characters, we take the themes, and we dive deep. And when we dive deep, that's where we see the color of these stories really coming out. So today, I want us to look at the beauty of Ruth. This story has been around a long time. And it's an amazing story of two women and their faithfulness to each other. So here's how I'd like for us to do it. Let's swim, let's snorkel, and let's scuba, okay? So on the swim level, it's a story of two women and their devotion to each other. These two women are individuals that are committed to each other, even though Naomi is one that tells Ruth to go back to her own homeland, to go back to her own family. So the highlights of this particular uh, story begin back in Bethlehem, uh, which is called the House of Bread. That's what Bethlehem means. Bet meaning house, Salem, the House of Bread, um, is this idea of 
they moved into a territory that was considered a land flowing with milk and honey. And what we find is that out of this place that the nation of Israel was given through the promises that God gave to Abraham way back, they began to thrive. They began to make a living. They began to uh, enjoy the fruitfulness of this promise. And then all of a sudden, a common theme that occurs in the scripture, a famine comes. There's shortage. And out of this famine, there is a need to find food for the family. So this man, by the name of Elimelech, um, is a man that chooses to go to a place called Moab. And he has two sons, Malon and Kilion. And this is Ruth chapter 1. It tells us that as they go to this place of Moab, they begin to settle, settle down there. And as they live there, uh, the two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry two Moabite women. One is named Orpah, not Ophrah, okay, but Orpah and Ruth. And they will live about 10 years uninterrupted, making a new life with each other. And what we find taking place here is the contrast of this cameo of love and care. Ruth uh, is an individual, though, after tragedy hits, Elimelech dies, Malon and Kilion die, and you have three widows. And Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, go home, find another man to marry. Here you will be safe. And this is where Ruth does this incredible thing, chooses to remain with Naomi. Ruth's devotion is such that she is willing to care for her mother-in-law. This isn't your typical mother-in-law type of story. You know the joke, you know. No one can get along with their mother-in-law, right? But what we find is in the death of hope, the death of these three men, we find that Ruth is going to care for Naomi. And then chapters 3 and 4 tell us that after they go back to their previous land, what are they going to do? Well, here we find just on a basic surface level that Ruth is an individual that is going to care for Naomi and she doesn't have a lot of resources to do so. In returning back to Bethlehem out of the heartache of losing three men in her life, Ruth declares this allegiance. And I read it for you earlier. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where do you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. You might have heard that passage of scripture read in a wedding. Sometimes wedding ceremonies use this. It doesn't have anything to do with a couple. It has to do with a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And what we find is that on the basic level, Ruth is demonstrating what is called hesed, Old Testament Hebrew word, loyal love, showing loyal love to her mother-in-law. Now, this is a setup for us because what we're going to find is it's God's loyal love that's going to enable them to have a rebirth of hope in spite of all the tragedy that had come along. So the story of both Ruth and Naomi 
is Hesed love that is a picture of God's loyal love to us as well. So let's now take a look at this here. So Elimelech, this is the storyline, and his family journeying to, uh, to Moab. Naomi returns with Ruth to Bethlehem, but do so under famine, barrenness, and isolation. Ruth meets a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz is a distant relative of Elimelech, the father who died. And what we find is that in the next chapters, chapters 2 and 3, Boaz owns fields. And in these fields, he grows barley. And this product is such that he has a lot of resources. And yet he is not first in line to really be responsible to take care of Naomi, but he is a distant relative. When they get back to Bethlehem, Naomi tells Ruth to go out to the, uh, to the field and to just glean some of the barley harvest so that they have something to eat. And in chapter 2, this is how Naomi commissions her daughter-in-law. She says, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, here's a cultural thing going on here. This actually comes out of the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus tells us that when the Israelites were to harvest their products and in this case it's barley. They weren't to harvest the entire field, but they were to leave the edges of the field unharvested so that the poor could come along and take the uh, resources that they need so they would not die. So you can see the desperation here. Naomi tells Ruth, go out and glean along the edges of the field because we're not going to have anything to eat. We're going to die. And so she goes to the field of this man by the name of Boaz, who is a distant relative. It is there that she takes some of the barley, and what we find is that she brings it back, and in chapter uh, 3, Naomi comes up with a plan. Boaz and his workers have been working long days, and they sleep in the fields at night and get up and do it all over again the next morning. In chapter 3, what we're told is that Naomi says to Ruth, go out to the threshing floor, and there you will find Boaz lying, sleeping, and you lay next to him. And that's what chapter 3 is about to go out and lay next to Boaz, and when he wakes up, and there's a little bit of spicy element to this as well. If you read the story closely, it, there's a seduction that's actually going on a little bit here by Ruth. And Ruth tells Boaz that she could be purchased or claimed uh, by Boaz, if he was willing to become, a technical term, a kinsman redeemer. Now, the passage that I read for you earlier was Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. And it's a story here of a brother who has lost his brother, and as a result, 
he is responsible for taking his brother's wife and then being, a, being able to carry on his brother's name, have a child with his sister-in-law. And so it's real strange custom that's going on here, but it was a way of preserving the family line. It's a way of carrying on the family name. Now, in the case of Ruth and Boaz, Boaz is a distant relative, but remember, both the boys of Naomi have passed away, right? So it's left two widows. Orpah goes back home, but Ruth follows Naomi back to Bethlehem. Now, what is Ruth going to do? Well, they hear of Boaz harvesting in the field. They go to the threshing floor, and there Ruth lies next to Boaz, and there makes a proposition. And the proposition is, you could be my redeemer if you desire to do so. Now we come to the snorkel. This is a very turbulent time. What we're told is a narrative setup in verse 1 that this was during the time of the judges. So in your Old Testament, you have Judges, Ruth, and then the book of Joshua, uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then the book of 1 Samuel. And the book of Ruth is set during a time of the judges. Now, what is a judge? It's not a person that has a gown and a gavel. A judge is a military leader. And the book of Judges in the Old Testament tells us one military leader after another that tries to set the nation of Israel free from all of these clans that are bringing violence against them. So in two weeks, we'll talk about one of those judges. His name is Samson. That's another story that you probably have heard of, okay? Samson and Delilah, right? What, it is, what is taking place is a very turbulent time, a period of over 300 and some odd years. The nation of Israel keeps going into servitude to foreign nations. Now remember, this is a clan culture. And so these clans are constantly fighting over territory and resources and that type of thing. And so what we're told in the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, is the characterization of that time period is every person did what was right in their own eyes. Now this led to cycles that took place in the book of Judges where it was believed that because of the nation of Israel's sin, by not keeping a covenant with God, that he led them into slavery by a foreign clan. And as they are in slavery, they cry out to God to free them from their slavery, and God raises up a judge that leads a military campaign where they are freed and they're able to have their liberty again and they are to experience shalom or peace to a certain extent. This cycle happens over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges. What we find is that in this very context here, let me go back for a second, we find that in this turbulent time, it's not just a famine, but it's warfare that's taking place as well, leaves the people vulnerable. Where are they going to survive and so forth? Well, as we look under the waterline a little bit, it's through this man named Boaz. Now, Ruth will make a, uh, a, an appeal to Boaz. Would you redeem me? But here's the issue. 
if you redeem me. Now, this is a very patriarchal society. It was considered that women were property. A woman was owned. So if you pay a certain price and you redeem me to the city gate and the elders that are there, then I will become your wife. But here's the issue. Along with me comes my mother-in-law, Naomi, too. How's that for a deal, right? You get me and you get the mother-in-law as well. So Boaz considers this, and when you get finally to chapter 4, Boaz comes, uh, uh, becomes aware that he isn't the nearest relative. So this is the way chapter 4 begins. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat there just as the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, or some, the closer relative. Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. And Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Now, not only would the kinsman redeemer get Ruth and Naomi, but the land that the family owned as well. Now, the man responds to Boaz, no, I'm not in a position, it will jeopardize my business. I'm not in, in a position to take uh, Ruth and Naomi. And so then Boaz stands up and verse 9 says, he announces to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. So Boaz, in an act of love and loyalty, steps up, and as he does so, he purchased Naomi, he purchased Ruth, and he gets the land of the family. Okay? Story then seems to be complete. But if you look a little bit deeper into the story, the story ends with the birth of a child. It says in verse 16, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now we see the purpose of the book of Ruth. It is to show us the connection to King David. King David comes out of God's faithfulness to bring Boaz and Ruth together to be able to have a family. And as they do so, they become the ancestors of Israel's most famous king. Then the book ends with the genealogy. They're always fun because there are names there you cannot pronounce, okay? All right. Okay, so we, we've swam together on the surface level. We look a little bit deeper at the snorkel level, but there's something else that's taking place in the book. And you've got to go really deep into it to understand what is happening here. The book of Ruth is also a story of resistance against the patriarchy of its day. Now, what do I mean? Well, you've got to look at another passage of Scripture. 
after Ruth pays this nighttime visit to the threshing floor and Boaz is willing to redeem her, what we find taking place a little bit later is this, that when the nation of Israel went into exile into Babylon, and then Persia conquers Babylon, there's a lot of history here, Cyrus the Great allows the people to go back to their homeland. But as they go back to their homeland, one of the things that has occurred while the people were in exile was an intermarriage between faithful Jewish men and foreign women. Okay, hang on to that for a second. Now, how many of you have heard of Ezra and Nehemiah? Okay, these two books in the Old Testament are after the people come back from the land. All right? So far, so good, right? Now, what you do is when you go over to, book, to the book of Ezra, chapter 9. In Ezra, chapter 9, we are told of the story of the people coming back in the land and their desire to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And there's a problem, at least in the eyes of the leader of that, leaders of that day. Chapter 9 of Ezra says this. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites is listed here. The Egyptians and the Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the people around them and the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. They see a problem. Intermarriage is going to lead to a mixed race and we don't want that. We want a pure race. We want a race that is pure Jewish. We don't want mixed blood. Okay, then it goes on. And so Ezra then begins to confess to God that they made a mistake and by intermarrying and he's confessing that there's a problem here. Verse 3 of chapter 10 says, Now let's make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commandments of our God. Do you know what Ezra is suggesting? Just send them away. All the women and all the children from those women, send them away. He is going to create a refugee problem. Where are these women and children going to go? Where Are they going to go back to their homelands? And if they get back to their homelands, are they going to starve on the streets? Are they going to die from violence? Are they going to be raped? So Ezra makes this profound proposal that we're going to keep our race pure and the way we're going to do it is we're just going to kick out all the women and children that are of mixed race. Now, the story becomes a parable. The story becomes a parable because the story of Ruth is the story of Israel's greatest king who is of a mixed race. He's part Moabite. He's not pure Jew. He's part Jew. He's part Moabite. 
And so the story of Ruth is probably a post-exilic story. Now, here's what I mean. It's probably set in the time of the judges. It's probably a story that comes out of the time of the judges, but it's probably written after they come back into the land. And here are all these people that are being exiled. They are being left to the streets. They are being left to danger. And this story of Ruth is being propped up to say, God recognizes the worth of even a Moabite woman because Israel's greatest king comes from the line of the Moabites. And so when you dig deep, what the book of Ruth is really doing is a call to racial bigotry to leave it behind. Because one of the things that happens here is that Even Israel's greatest king is of a mixed race. So let's talk about this for a moment before we're finished here today. So when you look at the story of Ruth, it's a polemic against those in power of that day that could disregard the health and safety of the women and the children from those women. So at first glance, we might think that this is a noble thing. They're trying to keep their race pure. But like Richard Rohr says in some of his writings, he says, scapegoating, exporting our unresolved hurt is the most common storyline in human history. Why is it that they want to kick out these foreign women? Because Israel, for many years in the Old Testament, almost 400 years in Egypt and 70 years in Babylon, have been suppressed by foreign people. Therefore, there is an internal hatred for foreign people. And so what happens here in the book of Ruth is a call of resistance against that mentality. Now think about this for a moment. If Boaz had not married Ruth, what would have happened? If Boaz had not married Ruth, then there would no, be no line that leads to King David. The greatest Jewish king is a descendant of a Moabite woman. So the book of Ruth, in many ways at its deepest level, is a response against xenophobia. It's a response against the scapegoating of an entire grouping of people. It is easy to think that when you are chosen, everyone else is unchosen. That is true not only in the Old Testament, it's true in our day. The book of Ruth has a lot to say to us in our day. We are struggling against a lot of white supremacy. It's at the heart of our current uh, problems. This idea of nationalism and keeping other people out and wanting to preserve just one type of people in the land is the underbelly of a lot of the division that's going on in our country today. And it's easy to think that we are the ones that belong. We are the chosen ones. We are the ones that want to preserve this type of culture. But the step between being unchosen and being rejected not only by us, but by God as well, is a small step in the human emotions. If you can convince yourself that those you regard 
as strangers, aliens, and enemies are also rejected by God, then prejudice and injustice will work freely. Now, this isn't a political statement I'm making. It's a anthropological statement or sociological statement. This is who we are as human beings. Maybe we need the story of Ruth because it challenges the prejudice that grows out of our limited knowledge, our tribal identities, our economic systems, and our social fears. Those who hold the highest offices in our lands, on both sides of the aisle, want to appeal to our worst sentiments and want to stroke fear and inflame hate. The book of Ruth is a story of God's surprising ways, the mystery of how God works in the world, God's great mysterious plans as he chooses a Jewish man and a Moabite woman to bring about King David. Maybe the great takeaway of this story is that God works through all kinds of different people. Bishop John Shelby Spong says that the book of Ruth is a protest book. It was designed to confront the raging xenophobia that was sweeping the land then and to reveal its inherent weaknesses. No one is whole when they act out of fear. No country is whole when we are afraid of each other. When we hate rather than love, and when we are disloyal rather than loyal to each other, it's a slow decline. It's a decline possibly into irreversible consequences. The book of Ruth, I think, ultimately is holding up a mirror for us. Not just to see what was happening back in that day, but to see what is happening in our own insecurities and our own fears. It's a book that is calling us to act boldly like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. It's a book that's calling us to live out of love and loyalty to each other. It's a book to call us to push hate back, to push fear down. And so it is written to protest all the limits that we place on other people. It is a protest that we somehow exclude people when God loves people and we are to do the same. Maybe, just maybe, the best thing that we can do is to have a prayer that reminds us that we are to live a life that looks something like Ruth, that looks something like Boaz looks something like Naomi. Naomi, when she came back to the land from Moab, changed her name. She changed her name to Mara, which means bitterness. And so the people see her coming back into the land and they say, hey, isn't that Naomi that, that left almost 10 years ago? Naomi, welcome back. We're glad to have you back. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because my life is bitter. I lost a husband. I lost two sons. And her life could have been left like that. If it were not for people like Ruth and Boaz and others that helped 
gave her another son, a grandson, a grandson that would be named Obed, would become the great-grandfather of Israel's greatest king. Oh, the strange and mysterious ways of God, right? That's what the book of Ruth is teaching us. Would you stand with me? So maybe this is a prayer that we can conclude with today. Holy One, today we pray for all who share in your creative power, in your nurturing energy, your fierce protection, and your unconditional love. Whatever titles they carry, whatever genders they are, we offer this prayer for all who bear your mothering spirit on this Mother's Day. <coughs> This God that was mothering the nation of Israel and bringing them back to the land. Protect the protectors. Comfort the comforters. Nourish those who provide nourishment for others. Grant your holy energy to those birthing new life in this world. Provide sacred rest for the weary and divine wisdom for the bewildered. Grace upon grace for the brokenhearted. For all who gasp and pant with you in life-giving labor, grant your blessing, grant your peace. Lord, we come and thank you for this time in your story. Your story. You are the great Boaz. You are Ruth that is working in situations in and around us to bring us back home to bring us back to you, to find peace where there was once anxiety, to bring the type of love when there was once depression. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon those, not only here, but those that will watch. And on this Mother's Day, Lord, help us to see this story as an opportunity for us to be a Ruth or a Boaz to other people around us. And in so doing, do your mysterious and wondrous work, I pray, and bring hope back to the hurting. For I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.